Previously on Breakdown. I can say it was, the, the, the district attorney said at the end, Mr. Giuliani has satisfied his obligation under the subpoena. So I was very happy that I satisfied my obligation. He should not only agree to certify the election as was his job, but he should show up and tell the truth about what happened. If he truly believes that, that Donald Trump did something wrong, then now is the time to say it. I'm not certain what he would be hiding from America, from Georgia, by waiting until after an election to tell the truth. If he could tell the truth before, he should be able to tell the truth now. So this is not a political stunt. This is not a partisan review. She has been presented with facts and she is investigating to determine whether those facts are sufficient to establish different crimes under the, the laws of the state. And so again, part of the reason she is calling a special purpose grand jury is to have residents of Fulton County listen to that same evidence and make recommendations as to whether they think there is evidence. Welcome back to season nine of Breakdown, the podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution investigating Georgia's most important cases. We are continuing our coverage of the special purpose grand jury investigation into what happened here after the 2020 presidential election. I'm Bill Rankin, the AJC's legal affairs reporter. And I'm senior reporter Tamar Hallerman. Coming up, we take a look at the most recent round of out-of-state subpoenas, including one sent to one of former President Donald Trump's most loyal advisors. We also have a resolution in the hotly disputed legal skirmish as to whether Governor Brian Kemp must testify before the grand jury. This is episode 10, closing in, of season nine of Breakdown, The Trump Grand Jury, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. In the west wing of the White House, the chief of staff's office is just down the hall from the Oval Office. From March 31, 2020, until President Trump left office, that position was held by Mark Meadows. Before being tapped as Trump's top aide, Meadows was a congressman from North Carolina and a senior member of the ultra-conservative House Freedom Caucus. Now Meadows has been given an out-of-state witness subpoena to come testify before the Fulton County Grand Jury on September 27th. Recently, the grand jury subpoenaed Trump's inner circle of lawyers. Now it summoned the former president's top White House aide. There's no question the investigation of Trump is closing in. It's not exactly a surprise that Meadows is being called in. After all, it was Meadows who arranged the January 2nd, 2021 phone call between Trump and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. That started the grand jury investigation. Mr. President, everybody is on the line. And just so this is Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, just so we all are aware, on the line is Secretary of State and uh, two other individuals, Jordan and Mr. Germany. With him, you also have uh, the attorneys that represent the president 
Kurt and Alex and Cleta Mitchell, uh, who is not the attorney of record but uh, has been involved, myself, and then the president. So, Mr. President, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Later in the call, Meadows tries to get Raffensperger to take a closer look at the fraud allegations. What I'm hopeful for is there some way that we can find some kind of an agreement to look at this a little bit more fully. Uh, you know, the president mentioned Fulton County, but in some of these areas where there seems to be uh, a difference of where the facts uh, seem to lead. And so, Mr. Secretary, I was uh, hopeful that, you know, in a spirit of cooperation and compromises, there's something that we can at least have a discussion to look at some of these allegations to find a, a path forward that's less litigious. It's at this moment where Raffensperger says he's not buying it. Well, I've listened to what the president has just said. President Trump, We've had several lawsuits, and we've had to respond in court to the lawsuits and the contentions. Uh, We don't agree that you have one. According to the filings by Fulton County prosecutors, Meadows was in constant contact with Trump in the weeks following the 2020 presidential election. On December 21st, Meadows attends a meeting with Trump, members of Congress, and others to discuss allegations of voter fraud and certifying the electoral college votes in Georgia and other swing states. In fact, he sends out a tweet that day, quote, Several members of Congress just finished a meeting in the Oval Office with President Trump, preparing to fight back against mounting evidence of voter fraud. Stay tuned. Two days later, Meadows pays a surprise visit to the Cobb County Civic Center, where the Secretary of State's office and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation are conducting an audit of absentee ballot signatures. Meadows asks to watch what's going on, but is told the audit wasn't open to the public. Then, on December 23rd, Trump calls Secretary of State Investigator Frances Watson. She was at the Cobb County audit and met Meadows there. Hello, Frances. How are you? Hello, Mr. President. I am actually doing very well. Good. Well, you have a big fan in our our great chief, right? Chief of Staff, Mark. I did. I, I, I met him. I um, I it was a pleasure to meet him yesterday. Trump explains why he's calling. Mark asked me to do it. He, he thinks you're great, and you know, it's just you have the most important job in the country right now because. If we win Georgia, first of all, if we win, you're going to have two wins. You're not, they're not going to win right now. You know, they're down. Because the people of Georgia are so angry at what happened to me. They know I won. What by hundreds of thousands of votes. It wasn't close. The select committee hearings about the insurrection have shown that top Justice Department officials were telling Meadows the election fraud claims were bogus and that he needed to get Trump to stand down. But that apparently never happened. Here's Mark Short, Vice President Mike Pence's Chief of Staff, in an interview with Margaret Brennan on the CBS News show, Face the Nation. You know, Margaret, I think that um, Mark would often say to me that he was working to try and get the president to uh, concede and accept uh, the results of the election. And at the same time, it was clear he was bringing in lots of other people into the White House that were feeding the president different conspiracy theories. Um, I think that uh, Mark was telling different audiences all sorts of different stories. And so um, I think, as I've said on many occasions, I believe the president was very poorly served by the team that he had around him. Fulton prosecutors note that on December 30th, Meadows emailed acting U.S. Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, asking him to investigate allegations of voter fraud in Georgia. Meadows forwarded Rosen an email he'd received from Trump lawyer Cleta Mitchell, 
who'd sent him a press release about a lawsuit filed in Georgia challenging President Joe Biden's victory. Mitchell was also subpoenaed by the Fulton County Special Grand Jury. The press release includes claims that were never proven. 2,560 felons cast illegal votes, as did 66,247 underage voters and 15,700 out-of-state residents. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Meadows refused to cooperate with the January 6th committee, and the House voted for him to be charged with contempt of Congress. But in June, the Justice Department announced it wasn't going to bring any charges against Meadows. Still, it's clear that District Attorney Fonnie Willis is using her grand jury subpoena power to penetrate the White House in a way that no local DA has ever done before. Here's Atlanta criminal defense attorney Steve Sadow on the significance of summoning Meadows before the grand jury. Well, I, the way that I think she's looking at it is, if I can put a subpoena on him and force him to talk, who knows what I may learn. I mean, it's, again, if Trump is the goal, she could have made it very simple simply with the phone call. But I don't think it's just Trump. I think it's the whole Trump network, so to speak, the election steal network. The only question is, would she bite off more than she could chew? And here's Norm Eisen, President Barack Obama's former ethics czar and co-author of the Brookings Institution report on the Fulton investigation. But this is a sign, because he's so very close to the top of the pyramid of potential liability, and in particular, so close to the former president, this is really a sign that, that at least in issuing subpoenas, she's moving into the later stages of her work. You know, you try to gather as much evidence as you can before you talk to a Mark Meadows. So it's consistent with her announced timing of uh, attempting to wrap up the special grand jury before the end of the year because it might take weeks or months of negotiation and potentially litigation with Mr. Meadows. He certainly was not shy about wrangling with the January 6th committee, and the stakes are even higher here. Eisen anticipates Meadows will try to assert executive privilege as a means of avoiding his grand jury appearance. I don't think there are valid executive privilege claims, but that will stop Mr. Meadows or the former president from asserting them. An out-of-state witness subpoena was also served on Sidney Powell. She's a lawyer who worked briefly on the Trump campaign's legal team to overturn the 2020 election outcome. She's to appear before the special purpose grand jury on September 22nd. Here's Powell at a November 20th, 2020 press conference with attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. She's making unfounded accusations against Dominion voting systems, whose machines are used in Georgia. We have testimony of different workers admitting that they were trained how to uh, dispose of Trump votes and uh, add to Biden votes. The software has a feature pursuant to which you can drag and drop any number of batches of votes to the candidate of your choice or simply throw them away. So we have mathematical evidence in a number of states of massive quantities of Trump votes being trashed, just simply put in the trash like you would on your computer with any file, and uh, Biden votes being injected. She ends with this. We are going to clean this mess up now, 
President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it, and we are going to reclaim the United States of America for the people who vote for freedom. In a deposition before the select committee, Powell said Trump had asked her to be a special counsel. She said he wanted her to collect evidence and address the election issues because he was extremely frustrated that law enforcement and governmental agencies weren't protecting the rule of law. But two days after Powell's press conference with Giuliani and Ellis, the Trump campaign cut ties with her. Powell is currently facing a lawsuit filed by Dominion Voting Systems. It's asking for $1.3 billion in damages. In mid-August, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations confirmed it's investigating an alleged breach of elections data in Coffee County, which is in south-central Georgia. The AJC's reporting has revealed that a team of tech experts, who are Trump supporters, coordinated with Coffee County election officials to copy files from the county's election server, ballot scanners, and ballot memory cards. They then shared it with PAL and conspiracy theorists. This happened on January 7, 2021. Prosecutors say Powell coordinated with Sullivan Strickler, an Atlanta data solutions company, to obtain this information. We asked defense attorney Steve Seda why Fulton County prosecutors would care about what happened 200 miles to the south in Coffee County. RICO, RICO, RICO. RICO enables a special grand jury and then in turn a regular grand jury to basically encompass any type of racketeering or predicate acts that can be alleged in furtherance of some grand conspiracy. So it can be from anywhere. It doesn't have to be in Fulton County. They just need to have an act, a predicate act, a racketeering act, as part of the charge conspiracy that occurs in Fulton County. We already told you that District Attorney Fonnie Willis has successfully brought racketeering charges in a number of cases. She's most famous for securing RICO convictions against Atlanta Public Schools teachers and administrators following a cheating scandal. Since becoming DA in 2021, she's already brought at least five RICO indictments, the latest against 26 alleged members of a robbing crew called Drug Rich. At a recent press conference announcing that indictment, Willis was asked about RICO. I'm a fan of RICO. I've told people that. And the reason that I am a fan of RICO is I think jurors are very, very intelligent. I think that they once, you know, some people don't want to do jury service, but once they get there, we really find that there are good citizens there. They're very smart. They pay attention. They take these matters serious, but they want to know the whole story. They want to know what happened. They want to make an accurate decision about someone's life. And so RICO is a tool that allows a prosecutor's office and law enforcement to tell the whole story. And so we use it as a tool so that they can have all the information they need to make a wise decision. So it's a tool I continue to use. Also receiving an out-of-state witness subpoena, Trump campaign aide Boris Epstein. Prosecutors say he was involved in getting fake electors to submit false certificates to Vice President Pence. Here's Epstein in an interview on MSNBC. I was quoted in the Washington Post in the last 24 hours. Yes, I was part of the process to make sure there were alternate electors for when, as we hoped, the challenges to the seated electors would be heard and would be successful per the 12th Amendment of the Constitution and the Electoral Count Act. Retired Army Colonel Phil Waldron also has an out-of-state witness subpoena. He once told the Washington Post that he talked to Chief of Staff Meadows on numerous occasions. Waldron also briefed members of Congress and, on December 3, 2020, 
he testified before a Georgia Senate subcommittee. My background is uh, Army uh, information operations, you know, the intersection of uh, computer network operations, electronic warfare, uh, psychological operations, deception, and OPSEC. And um, my, my point of view of looking at these systems is how to penetrate them, how to corrupt them, how to manipulate them uh, to conduct strategic influence operations. And uh, in my opinion, this is uh, the American people are under a, a pretty significant information warfare campaign uh, that's multifaceted. This is Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Finally, there's libel lawyer Lynn Wood. He recently told our AJC colleague Alan Judd in a telephone interview that he's expecting to get a subpoena. In December 2020, Wood, with Sidney Powell by his side, spoke to a rally in the Atlanta suburb of Alpharetta. He claimed, without citing evidence, that Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger had accepted bribes to throw Georgia's electoral votes to Joe Biden. He also called on Trump supporters to put their lives on the line for the cause of reversing the election results. Full disclosure, Wood filed suit on behalf of security guard Richard Jewell against the AJC for its stories naming him a target of the fatal bombing during the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. I had nothing to do with the original stories about the bombing, but I covered the story full-time after the Olympics were over, all the way to Jewell being completely cleared of the bombing. And because of that, I had to sit for an hours-long deposition with Wood questioning me. It was not a pleasant experience at all. Ultimately, Jules' lawsuit against the AJC was dismissed. Wood says he'll comply with the subpoena from the special grand jury. He told our colleague Alan, quote, I didn't do anything wrong. I'll tell you that. I'll go down there and tell them what they want to know. In an interview last year with CNBC, Wood says he hosted meetings at his sprawling, low-country South Carolina plantation shortly after the 2020 election. Among those attending were Powell, Mike Flynn, Trump's former national security advisor, and other prominent Trump supporters. In Powell's material witness certificate, Fulton prosecutors say the meetings were held to explore options to influence the results of the November 2020 elections in Georgia and elsewhere. In Episode 9, we told you about a filing on behalf of Governor Brian Kemp that sought to grant him immunity from testifying before the Special Purpose Grand Jury. This came as a surprise because we thought the governor had already testified, voluntarily, before Fulton prosecutors on July 25th. But that never happened. By then, relations between the Fulton DA's office and Kemp's attorney, Brian McAvoy, had completely disintegrated. McAvoy made it public by attaching exchanges of nasty emails to a court motion. The breakdown had led the DA's office to obtain a subpoena for Kemp's testimony, and it was scheduled for August 18th, 
a date set to accommodate McAvoy's scheduled vacation. In his motion filed August 17th, McAvoy accuses the DA's office of conducting a politically motivated investigation. He also sets requirements for Kemp's testimony before prosecutors. One was that there be no audio or video recording of it, which made little sense because the grand jury obviously would want to see and hear what Kemp had to say. Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade responds with his own pointed motion. He accuses McAvoy of manipulating the email correspondence between the two sides. He calls it, quote, both unprofessional and disappointing. Wade also wrote, quote, a reasonable observer may well conclude that Kemp's current strident show of non-cooperation with the district attorney and the grand jury's investigation into election interference by Mr. Trump and his associates is itself a tactic to influence the November election. For the first time, Wade identifies many of the special purpose grand jury's areas of interest in Governor Kemp. They include the identities of people who tried to get in touch with Kemp following the 2020 election, the contents of phone calls the governor had with Trump or his associates, evidence the Trump campaign provided to support its theory that Georgia's election was rigged, whether Trump specifically sought a special election, and also if any threats had been made. We've noted that McAvoy said the governor's office had turned over more than 130,000 pages of documents to the special purpose grand jury. But Wade's reply says that some of what was turned over was not the least bit responsive to the grand jury's subpoena. The governor's office turned over state employee benefit information, medical records for a deceased Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities patient, photos of dogs, apparently related to the purchase of protective canine vests, and a soil report by the company Cumberland Engineering Consultants. I don't think those had anything to do with the presidential election. No kidding. So the legal claim asserted by Kemp's lawyers was that the governor's subpoena should be quashed because he's protected by sovereign immunity. That's a legal doctrine that dates back to the Middle Ages. It prevented kings, sovereigns, from being sued because they were the law itself and because the king could do no wrong. In Georgia, governors cannot be sued in most cases unless they waive sovereign immunity. And Kemp's lawyers argue this also applies to a subpoena from a special grand jury. They say that's because this grand jury is civil, not criminal in nature. And in this instance, Kemp is not waiving sovereign immunity. With the issue teed up, Judge Robert McBurney convenes a hearing on August 25th. Arguing the sovereign immunity issue for the governor is Atlanta lawyer Derek Bauer. We've got to go back now and look at what that authority is because their position that as long as what they're doing is a criminal investigation, there are no limits on that and they can haul in the governor and they don't have to pay attention to these other jurisdictional constitutional issues. It's wrong on every level, starting with this is actually not a criminal investigation. This is a civil investigation and in civil investigations, a special purpose grand jury and the district attorney that's aiding it have no authority under established Georgia law to investigate state offices. They simply don't. McBurney is not so sure. Why does the lack of power to indict and, and agree with you that, that the special purpose grand jury cannot bring charges? And we've had to explain that to some witnesses, to all sorts of folks. Um, why does that mean it's not a criminal investigation or criminal investigative body as opposed to civil? Wouldn't one look to, I'll call it the charter? So the chief judge signed an order, 
authorizing the creation of the special purpose grand jury. And its purpose was not to investigate civil matters. It was to investigate alleged criminal interference with the 2020 general election. So criminal, 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 not civil, civil, civil. Um, What, why is simply the lack of the ability to indict, a police officer cannot indict anyone. But if a police officer is asking you questions, it's not a civil investigation. It's a criminal investigation. Bauer pushes back, but seems to be getting nowhere. Just because you label it criminal doesn't make it a criminal proceeding. Okay. Courts have said that, right? And that's your argument that, look, this special purpose grand jury, it's actually a civil thing. And if you're right, civil, I agree. Sovereign immunity, I don't see any waiver anywhere. But indulge me for a moment. So you know what? It's a criminal investigation. The only discussion is criminal statutes. The only concern is, was there criminal interference with the 2020 general election in Georgia? So it's a criminal investigation. No jurisdiction? It's an investigation into whether a crime was committed, but it's not a criminal investigation because it cannot result in any criminal indictment or presentment being made. That was the choice of the district attorney when they opened this investigation. They chose to go the route of a special purpose grand jury that can just write a report. Fulton prosecutor Donald Wakeford tells McBurney he's not impressed with Bauer's arguments and says sovereign immunity only applies to lawsuits. So... This proceeding, which is clearly criminal, why is it civil? This proceeding, which is not a lawsuit, but instead a subpoena, why does sovereign immunity apply to that? There have still not been direct answers to those questions. And finally, where is the authority for this position? Where is the case that states that the governor can, uh, can have his subpoena quashed in these circumstances? There were, there were not answers to those questions. So... I'm at your honor's disposal if you have questions for me, but our position is that this is a criminal proceeding. Sovereign immunity applies to immunity from suit. McAvoy steps up to the podium and expresses concerns about how this could impact the upcoming gubernatorial election. Governor Kemp is someone that's ardently defended the rule of law. He took appropriate steps to protect the integrity of Georgia's election process. He certified the presidential election on November 20th, 2020, just as the Constitution and state law provide. He's now been identified as a witness in this investigation. And the most important point, Your Honor, is he has been willing to engage in this investigation since April of 2021. Now we're in the middle of an election cycle for really the most closely followed gubernatorial race in the country. There may be one or two others that are close, but you know, this is, is certainly up there. Uh, And this is happening coincidentally or otherwise as this high profile and politically charged investigation and Governor Kemp's role in it are are reaching a crescendo. Um, The intersection of law and politics in this way, we believe, shouldn't be happening on the eve of an election. McBurney has this to say. So that I can put what you want to share in context, because the, the politics of this aren't my domain. You have aired very publicly through your pleadings and the district attorney has provided her perspective in pleadings about some of the back and forth and the tit for tat and the politics. That's not my space. Um, And so I don't wanna open this proceeding up to, um, here's how we think the race is going for the governor and and we think it has this political spin or that. I I don't think this is the right forum for that. And you may not have been going there, but I just wanna make sure there's a good purpose for you to explore what you want to explore since the slide in front of everyone says political impact of the subpoena. 
McAvoy asks McBurney if he's going to require Kemp to testify to let him do so after the November election. And McAvoy displays screenshots of a tweet by Kemp's opponent, Stacey Abrams, and of her recent appearance on CNN, which we played for you in the prior episode. In both instances, Abrams slams the governor for seeking to avoid testifying. And McAvoy says this. I mean, we are damned if we do, damned if we don't. We come in, it's going to be politicized. We don't come in, it's going to be politicized. We invoke legal rights, it's politicized. Except Wakeford makes this observation, laying the blame right at McAvoy's feet. This was reported in the media widely that on July 25th, the governor had appeared and provided testimony. No one from the district attorney's office contradicted that. No one from the governor's office contradicted that. The story was over. There were no statements by anybody else. There was not a firestorm. There was not an eruption of controversy. It was quiet. If the governor had appeared on August 18th, driven into, the, driven into a secure location, been brought into the building, appeared, provided testimony, left, there would have been no story. There would have been no controversy. There would be no political implications. There would be not, nothing to talk about because the story for the media's purposes was over. There was no testimony to hear about because it had already happened. Instead, the governor's counsel created the story by not just choosing to file the motion, but choosing to file it in this way after getting the date that they requested. During his argument, Wakeford tells McBurney why relations between both sides had soured. After communications break down, there is a, well, they break down because of a July 20th, 2022 email in which requirements for the governor's uh, voluntary interview are stated by Mr. McAvoy. And the word requirements is very specifically used. Another phrase that is used in that July 20th email is politically motivated investigation. They put it in writing to us. What is the district attorney supposed to do with that when she has already tried to move the date of any involvement past a, a con- an entirely contentious primary that the governor was participating in. When the district attorney had engaged in, in negotiations to have a voluntary interview, even after the special pur- purpose grand jury was seated and was subpoenaing other witnesses. As in deference to the respect afforded the office of the governor, communi- I mean, communications and negotiations about a voluntary interview continued until requirements were stated by the governor's office because in their words, this was clearly a politically motivated investigation. At that point, what more is there to discuss? That hearing was on a Thursday, and these cases are moving so fast, it's causing judges to work on the weekends. The federal appeals court in Atlanta issued a ruling on a Sunday regarding the subpoena issued to Lindsey Graham. And to be sure, McBurney must have been working on this ruling the weekend after the hearing. That's because, first thing Monday morning, his decision appeared on the court's docket. It's only six pages long, but it's thoughtful and cleverly written. Believe me, I've read a lot, a lot of judges' rulings over the many years I've been covering the court system. I love a well-written opinion. And McBurney delivers time and time again. He also puts good nuggets in his footnotes. I love a good footnote. McBurney gave victories to both sides. He shot down the arguments that Kemp was shielded by sovereign immunity. But he also says Kemp will testify after the November election. Addressing the breakdown of communications, McBurney wrote that the subpoena came, quote, 
only after weeks of tortured and tortuous negotiations over obtaining an interview with the governor, the details of which do not bear repeating here, other than to note that both sides share responsibility for the torture and the tortuousness. McBurney shoots down arguments from Kemp's attorneys that a state appellate decision in a special purpose grand jury case established that these grand juries are civil in nature and cannot investigate state agencies. And he writes in footnote four, Hopefully, due only to inadvertence, the governor's legal team made an unfounded claim about that decision and which directed the court via citation to a page of the opinion that does not exist. Ouch. Yes, indeed. And McBurney writes, the Fulton County Special Purpose Grand Jury is criminal in nature. He says it will not be recommending whether anyone should be sued or should be referred for civil administrative proceedings. It will be recommending whether anyone should be prosecuted for crimes. Put simply, there is nothing about this special purpose grand jury that involves or implicates civil practice. He attaches footnote 5 to this passage. So on point 2, it's well established that prosecutors and defense attorneys in criminal cases seem to get along much better than plaintiff's lawyers and defense lawyers in civil cases. More than 95% of criminal cases end with a plea bargain. So those lawyers need to get along. In civil cases, it's mostly all about money and they often devolve into nasty acrimony between attorneys from both sides. So when McBurney says nothing about the Fulton Special Grand Jury implicates civil practice, he adds this caveat, quote, The one exception to date has been the lack of civility among the attorneys involved. As the streams of publicly revealed emails demonstrate, that all-too-common and always-unwelcome aspect of civil litigation has intruded upon these criminal proceedings. So McBurney orders Kemp to honor his subpoena. But the judge acknowledges the governor is in the midst of a re-election campaign, and he writes, quote, This criminal grand jury investigation should not be used by the district attorney, the governor's opponent, or the governor himself to influence the outcome of that election. The sound and prudent course is to let the election proceed without further litigation or other activity concerning the governor's involvement in the special purpose grand jury's work. Once the election is over, the governor's legal team promptly needs to make arrangements for his appearance. At a recent press conference, Willis is asked about McBurney's decision. I think it's appropriate for witnesses that have information in that investigation to testify. As you know, Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani came down to Atlanta and testified before the special purpose grand jury. Since then, attorneys Kenneth Chesbro and John Eastman have testified as well. Chesbro testified on August 30th. Fulton prosecutors say he worked with the leadership of the Georgia Republican Party to coordinate the slate of alternative electors. Prosecutors also say Chesbro worked directly with Giuliani to carry out the plan. Chesbro's lawyer, Scott Grubman, declined to comment on Chesbro's testimony, but he did criticize the ongoing investigation involving Trump's legal team. He said, quote, Lawyers who take on unpopular clients and provide legal counsel should not find themselves under investigation. It's a slippery and exceedingly dangerous slope. Eastman appeared before the grand jury the next day. He helped design the plan to appoint slates of fake Republican presidential electors in Georgia and other swing states. He also testified before a Georgia legislative hearing and said there was more than enough evidence of fraud and improper conduct to warrant Georgia lawmakers picking an alternative slate of presidential electors. In March, 
U.S. District Court Judge David Carter in California said, quote, It's more likely than not that President Trump and Dr. Eastman dishonestly conspired to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. After Eastman testified before the special purpose grand jury, his lawyers, Charles Burnham and Harvey Silverglade, issued a statement. They said they advised Eastman to invoke his right to remain silent where appropriate when answering questions over an estimated two hours. So Eastman pleaded the fifth and untold number of times, just as he did before the House Select Committee. Burnham and Silverglate also accused the DA's office of setting itself, quote, on an unprecedented path of criminalizing controversial or disfavored legal theories, possibly in hopes that the federal government will follow its lead. Criminalization of unpopular legal theories is against every American tradition and would have ended the careers of John Adams, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Thurgood Marshall, and many other now-celebrated American lawyers. In an email, Silverglate writes that, so far as he knows, Eastman has not been told he's a target of the investigation. Silverglate also says he does not believe Eastman will be named a target because, quote, the evidence is clear that he has not committed any crimes. And just before we recorded this episode, U.S. District Court Judge Lee Martin May once again declined to quash the subpoena issued to Senator Lindsey Graham in its entirety. But May did say the South Carolina Republican cannot be asked about investigative fact-finding during his calls to the Secretary of State's office and how they relate to his vote to certify the 2020 presidential election. She said that's protected by the Constitution's speech or debate clause, which shields members of Congress from testifying about official legislative business. But Graham can be questioned about any alleged effort to encourage Secretary of State Raffensperger to throw out ballots or alter Georgia's election practices. He can also be questioned about his alleged communications and coordination with the Trump campaign and its post-election efforts in Georgia. And Graham can be asked about his public statements related to the 2020 elections in Georgia. The case returns to a three-judge panel on the Federal Appeals Court in Atlanta. It will now consider Graham's appeal in full. Score yet another subpoena victory for D.A. Fonnie Willis. And the special grand jury's work continues. Willis says she'll shut it down from when early voting for the general election begins on October 17th until Election Day on November 8th. And she gives this update on the grand jury's progress at her recent press conference. I think we're about 60% through of all of the people that we need to be brought up. I'm pleased with the pace that we're going. Um, You know, there can't be any predictions. As you know, many people are uh, unsuccessfully fighting our subpoenas. Uh, We will continue to fight to make sure that the grand jury and the public gets the truth. Um, And I am very hopeful that by the end of this year, I'll be able to send the grand jury on their way. Next on Breakdown, should Willis serve a subpoena on former President Trump to appear before the special purpose grand jury? or not? I don't see the risk because even if there's someone you're ultimately going to charge, you want to remove the argument that I had a perfectly reasonable explanation if you had just asked me for it. So you kind of can head that off by sending them a subpoena to testify before the grand jury. You know, if you don't have anything to hide, if you're being helpful to helping us find out what happened, come in and tell us what you you know. And then at that point, they say, well, I feel like I can't tell you anything on the grounds that it may incriminate me. Then, you know, that that says a lot. Of course, we'll be back soon. You can count on it. As always, thanks so very much for listening. You can follow our daily coverage on our website, AJC.com. 
And if you really want to support local journalism, particularly our journalism, please subscribe to the AJC. Be safe and take care. Until next time, I'm Bill Rankin. And I'm Tamar Hallerman. This is Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.